Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. Oh, yeah. It's International Slinky Day. And this podcast, too, is fun for a boy and a girl. This is the Chad and Cheese Podcast Does Europe. I'm your co-host, Joel Slinkity Cheeseman. I'm Chad. It's called Soccer. So wash. And I'm leaving totally into nurses van Nieuwenhuizen. <laughs> and on this episode, healthcare research, Italy says ciao to freebies and who'd you rather? Let's do this. Look at Levin, how refreshed he is. He's, he should be. He's so rested and refreshed. This whole this whole Europe take July and August off is is working for me, I, even though I'm not partaking. Well, yeah, I, I think you probably get a good enough July and August off. But anyway, That's, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is really cramping my napping schedule. By the way, Chad, yeah, having to be up by eleven, yeah, that's that's too much. Yeah, no, dude, I I love uh, just the the opportunity for time away for yourself and Europeans do that better than anybody. Probably the yeah. French mostly, but Europeans do it better than anybody. <laughs> well, love you're talking about in the green room, you, you leave Europe at this time of year because your Airbnb can, uh, you know, be a cash machine for a couple months for all the Europeans going to Portugal. Yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I like Europeans, but I don't like that many Europeans. So, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. So you're you're done vacationing, leaving. Do you want to fill fill us in on where you Tell went? Me what a you little did? bit about Madeira, man. I want to hear. I want to uh, hear that. We got a chance to go. I want to hear. I want to so, hear your uh, your experience. So that's how we pronounce it in English, Madeira. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we say Madeira, but uh, probably so. It's Madeira. It's nice. That's way so Madeira actually, it is it is Portugal. So we have uh, something in common. Chat. It's nice, Madeira. Madeira, it's a it's a beautiful island, as you know. And the climate, I love the climate. It was like in Celsius, you have Fahrenheit or something, but at twenty seven degrees, mm-hmm. a bit clouds, uh, not too hot, and that's something people start to appreciate with this uh, long hot summers in the south of Europe. Yeah. 27 degree, degrees is just perfect. So it's nice. I love it. I can't I can't wait to go back. We've got uh, the family. Uh, we're taking the family there for Christmas and New Year's. So I'm oh. really stoked. Luckily, luckily, I've got a buddy who has a big house there. So mm-hmm. we can fit them all. Nice. We can fit them all. Shout out. All right. All right. We got to do this first. Uh, again, it's called soccer. Why? Because Messi, the goat, is in the United States and he is lighting it up over here. He is filling stadiums. He's doing things that Joel Cheeseman never thought was possible. This to me deserves a shout out. Yes, he's Argentine. Although football, we all know, is very, very European. So a big shout out to uh, Messi and uh, bringing, bringing the love of the game to the U.S., the dude is ridiculous. Is. Like I'm not the biggest soccer fan, but I like the highlights and what he's doing. It looks like he's a man playing with kids. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it'd be like Jordan playing with kindergartners in his <laughs> in his heyday. Like I I can't even. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to buy the MLS package just to watch him. It's thirty bucks a year, I think, or the season. Uh-huh. Pretty good deal. I mean, I, he's doing what Pele Beckham. Rooney, all these guys couldn't do. He's selling out Cincinnati. He's selling out Columbus. He's selling out 
all these stadiums. And yeah. I mean, dare I say, Premier League soccer, I feel is is more important. The season just started recently. Yes. Like I'm kind of watching on Saturday mornings. Yeah. My my six year old has soccer, so we'll usually pregame with some Aston Villa or Man U. <laughs> yeah. Like get it get Liverpool. get pumped up. So. I don't know, man. I'm feeling a little bit of the football fever. A little bit of the football fever. As Levin's over there, he's like, yeah, this is old hat for me. So what do you, yeah. have you heard about it? Have you seen what Messi's been doing over across the pond? Some people who like soccer or football probably have, but uh, I couldn't care less. <laughs> I have really no idea. I know his name, but that's, that's gotta, about it. We've got to give Levin a test. I'm not really sure he's European. <laughs> He's royalty. He doesn't deal with the commoners and their games <laughs> of soccer and footy and rugby <laughs> oh, and all that. He's he's way he's doing no like fencing and horse polo. Sub- polo, yes, yes, yes. John, when do we go to Gstaad where we um, have uh, those sleighs and then we uh, sleigh riding with horses? Yeah, yeah. Levens with horses. Yeah. He's skiing in the Alps. Like nah. that's that's his that's his jam. That's his jam. Mm. By the way, it's the summer of pink over here. Yeah. Barbie's the hottest movie. Messi's the hottest athlete in the country. Yeah. Uh, all all doing it in pink. Easily and uh, and doing it doing it in a hot pink. And speaking of hot, Chad, yes. hot my shout out goes. My shout out goes to air conditioning. Oh yeah, Nashville's coming up. But that's that's a different podcast. Air conditioning. As an American. I take air conditioning for granted, especially in August uh-huh. and with climate change. But I recently found out, Chad, that 20%, only 20% of European homes have air conditioning. That's compared to 88% of homes in the good old U.S. of a Europe, by the way, is the world's fastest warming continent on the planet. So stay cool, Europe. Shout out to air conditioning. So, Levin, do you have air conditioning in your place? We don't need it, really. <laughs> yeah, in Belgium, yeah. So down in the Algarve, we do, but I mean, it gets, it gets, of course. yeah, a little warm. It gets a little warm down there, so we have, uh, yeah. we, we do have AC. This summer, we didn't really need it. It was uh, mostly very cold. <laughs> no, really, it was. It was yeah. uh, I, today we we have the heating on actually because it's it's chilly. Yeah, for those uh, listeners can't see, but uh, Levin's all bundled up. I I think he had a scarf on a... before he started. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a scarf, but uh... he was wearing his ascot with his smoking jacket <sighs> and his oh leather slippers. I'm surprised in the summer when we go, Chad, how hot the UK can get. It can oh, yeah. get pretty warm. Well, there in remember America. when we were there yeah. for the, the not this last Wreckfest, but the one before, but the Luton Airport tarmac was melting. It melting. was so fucking yeah. hot. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Enjoy that cool Belgian Belgian air while you can, Levin. By the way, Chad, in October, we're going to be in, in, in Europe, and I'm sure it's going to be cool enough by October. Where are we going? Yeah, we're in Europe. going to unleash Paris. As a matter of fact, I just got my Airbnb yesterday, thank God. Early October, kids, if you're going to HR Tech or you're not going to HR Tech, you definitely have to go to Unleash. It is a spectacle. Uh, Unleash World in Paris. It's a blast. And uh, you can go to chadcheese.com and find the uh, all the places we're going to be and register right there. And Levin is uh, continuing to take a vacation from shout-outs this week. <laughs> maybe maybe next week I, we'll have something. I, I changed my mind. Okay. Oh, okay. I've got, I've got a shout-out go. just because Bring it. You're, you're making me look like some, um, how did you call it, a royal? Huh? 
Um, my <laughs> shout-out goes to... bourgeoisie, yeah, whatever. Do you know her? To Lotte Kopecki. Ever heard of Lotte Kopecki? No. no. Ah, you male chauvinist peck. It's because it's a girl, <laughs> huh? No. Lotte Kopecki, she's Belgian, and she just became the world champion on the road cycling. Oh. So uh, cycling is something pretty big in Belgium. Uh-huh. And uh, she became the world champion, so suddenly we're all into female cycling. All right. So my shout-out goes to Lotte Kopecki, just to show that I know her, and there my uh, knowledge <laughs> Inclusive and sports-related shout-out from Levi. Yes. I love it. And, uh, love and it. there's also a link with HR, because they're, um, she's sponsored by SD Works. You know SD Works? No. Nope. No, it's an HR company, whatever. Okay. Okay. There's the connection. Lotte Kopecki. Very nice. Yeah. Love it. Good job, Levi. Topics. Let's talk healthcare, guys. The World Employment Confederation recently published a strategic paper outlining the importance of quality and cost-effective healthcare services around the globe and how the HR services industry, particularly agency work, is an important piece of the pie. Highlighted was the balance and appropriate national regulation as a basis for the effective use of agency work and staffing services in healthcare, the article also expresses concern that attempts to restrict the use of agency work in several countries in Europe risks aggravating the staff shortages that already prevail and therefore undermines the sustainability of healthcare systems. European healthcare staffing, Levin, you have some deep insight on this one. What are your thoughts? We're pretty much involved because we have uh, some companies in Belgium and the Netherlands and Germany active in healthcare staffing. So we're definitely watching this one close. And you have to know the World Employment Confederation, they launched this paper or this uh, survey because of a series of newspaper articles, which were published during the recent months on politicians, mostly populist politicians who thought attacking temporary and contract work in healthcare would give them some easy attention in view of the upcoming elections. And that's basically what is happening. Because, you know, the, there's a big, big difference between healthcare in Europe and in the US. Of course, everyone knows in Europe, it's accessible to anyone. Standards are pretty high. That's great, but it's expensive. Healthcare is really expensive. And it's paid by the government, so it's mostly financed through taxpayers' money. So for politicians, it's easy to say those companies are stealing money from the government, so basically are stealing money from you, poor taxpayers. And they try to get some um, some attention, and nobody can be against politicians attacking multinationals, trying to abuse the taxpayer. So that's their um, their point. Problem is, of course, it's not that totally not as the those populist politicians claim it is. Huh? It's really it's a complicated complicated situation. So I'm going to give a short introduction and then you can uh, fire away. But um, just to give you an idea, do you know how much it costs to go to a doctor in Belgium, for example, or in Western Europe? Do you have an idea uh, for the end user? Yeah, just for uh, let's say uh, out of pocket money for for me as a patient going to a doctor. Zero. What do you think I pay? It's not zero. Okay. No, because if it was zero, then and <laughs> that actually was the case. Some people went euro. to the doctor. <laughs> no, it's four euros, actually. Oh. Four. Yeah. Because. Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, but because um, if it's zero, some old people actually went to the doctor just because they were lonely and they had to talk. <laughs> so they had to make them pay something just to put, in Dutch, it's called a hemgeld, to put a, a break on, on, on the sure. debt. So it's really cheap, but. Um, with the aging population, the healthcare system is getting really expensive for everyone. So the politicians thought we're going to 
cuts on the money and they tried it, but then suddenly COVID came and they realized it wasn't a very good idea to save too much money on healthcare. We definitely need healthcare. So now they're trying to raise taxes. But then, of course, nobody likes that. Huh? Raising taxes, uh, that's a difficult subject. And when you say it's getting expensive, you don't mean the four euros. You mean no, no, the no, no, taxes no. that come into it's, it. Basically, the, the system is getting expensive. Okay. Just free yep. healthcare is getting too expensive for the government. Yep. And they have to transfer uh, lots of money from other departments to healthcare just to keep it up. So they started first by some politicians started by attacking some doctors. They said uh, those, uh, those doctors, they make too much money. But that wasn't really a popular subject because basically most people feel those doctors should make a lot of money because... Studies are really hard. It takes lots of time, 12 years at least, at university. And basically, people feel those doctors, they deserve it. So as a politician, you didn't become really popular by attacking doctors. And now they're trying something else. They're trying to attack the the staffing companies who put mostly nurses in hospitals. And they say those staffing companies are making money on the backs of the taxpayer because that's something you need to realize, the healthcare industry is privately owned. So healthcare is supported by the government, but the industry is privately owned. So all those doctors are mostly self-employed and those nurses are mostly employees of those private hospitals. In the end, it's the taxpayer who pays. And that's something you have to realize. So healthcare is is becoming more and more expensive. Cost-cutting didn't really work out. So they're looking for a different way to save some money. And now attacking temporary contract work in the healthcare sector is something new they try. So are they are they tightening the screws in terms of profitability of the staffing companies, or is this just a uh, sh- we're we're mad at you and it's getting political? Like, are they really passing regulation in terms of ceilings on profits? Not yet. Or is this just theater? Not yet. It's theater. It's because they just. Uh- Next year, there is election in Belgium and in the Netherlands. And those politicians now, they're just looking for a subject mm-hmm. with which they can get some attention. So there's no talk about, uh, of not yet about legislation change or anything. It's mostly newspaper articles. But the problem is, and that's something they don't tell their uh, voters, healthcare industry absolutely needs flexible staffing because otherwise there will be a huge problem. I'm going to give you a few examples. There are many, but just a few. For example... There is the need for a flexible pool of nurses to fill in a certain urgent demand. It would be totally unsustainable to be constantly fully staffed. You have to have some kind of a flexible pool. If uh, people have a lot of nurses suddenly become ill, they have to be replaced. If there is some kind of a pandemic, you have to be able to, to provide extra nurses. So this flexible pool has to be there. But it's something those hospitals, they can't organize themselves. And this is basically where the, um, the flex work came from or why it's becoming more popular. And to put things in perspective, in Belgium, for example, only 3% of all nurses are working in some kind of a flexible contract. In the Netherlands, it's about 10%. And in most countries, it's somewhere between 2 and 7 8%. So it's not like it's, it's huge, but it's a fact that the numbers are growing because more and more nurses want to work in some kind of a flexible contract. And that's actually a fact. And Hasevichar has done a big survey about uh, 1,500 nurses were um, asked about why did you became flex worker? Why did you, did you become a freelance worker or maybe a, a temping worker or a projects? Why did you work in project staffing? And we wanted to know because politicians mostly claim they do it to make more money. 
And we found out that's totally not the case. It's uh, not even in the top five of reasons. So the five most important reasons were nurses saying, I want to have more flexibility in my work schedule. And that's something which definitely makes sense because those people also have families and they have to be able to put their children uh, to school, etc. So flexibility, also nurses need it. They want more variety in their jobs. They, uh, and that's something I liked. They enjoyed being a freelancer more than working as an employee. It's like saying, when I'm a freelancer, my boss is my client. And that's a different approach. Uh, they say I want to gain experience in multiple places. Also makes sense. Um, the moment you graduate, you don't know what your career should be like. There are so many different ways to work within healthcare, and they can try several. And the fifth one was I wanted to be able to do other things besides working in healthcare. So these were the first five most important reasons. And I believe making more money came on the sixth or seventh place. And it is true in some cases, if you work with a staffing company as a nurse, in some cases, you will make more money than if you work directly for a hospital. And that's the difficult part. There has been some cases where Temping agencies were poaching nurses from hospitals. They were contacting them directly and saying, hey, if you work with us, you can still work in the hospital, but you will make more money. And that, of course, that could be a problem because if all nurses would work in the same way, then actually healthcare would become extremely expensive. But in this case, it's, it's different. Huh? We're talking about most nurses, 3% of those in Belgium are choosing to work in a different way of work and in a flexible way of work, not for the money. And they don't make more money. It's just a different way of working. And this is something I think nobody can be against. But I definitely feel there should be within the industry some kind of a self-regulation. And I feel there should be a code of conduct in which something should be stipulated or how do you say it? So it should be yeah. mentioned. Yep. Uh, like a non-poaching agreement makes sense. You can't just call a hospital nurse and say, we're going to hire you and then put you back. Shouldn't be allowed. When staffing companies say you can make more money with us, is that because they're negotiating a new contract with the hospital and giving that money to the nurse? But then you said you're not making more money. Like, Help me understand no. if I'm a staffing agency and say, hey, come, come, come with us, you'll make more money. How does that work? It depends on the, how do you say it in English? Statute, uh, the status, is it the word? Status, yeah. Status, status okay. yeah. Uh, if you're employed or if you're a freelancer, tax is totally uh, different uh, okay. because um, you have to make sure you get your insurance as a freelancer. There are, that's a totally different structure. It would lead us too far now. But if you have your own company as a nurse, if you are a freelancer, then you could probably make more in the end if you have a good um, accountant. And it's a possibility, but it's definitely not a reason why people... Kind of like taking a, an employed truck driver and saying, be your own driver or you'll make more money. At least that's the, the argument. Be your yeah, own boss. You, okay. Yeah, but then you have to uh, to have your own truck. You have to buy your own oh, yeah. truck. Yeah, you have to, of course. And oh, yeah. I think uh, in many cases, it would be easier not to be your own truck driver or not to be your own boss and just work for a company. Yep. So I think there are so many things you need to take into account that I don't think those nurses make much more money. Definitely not. They also have, uh, it would lead us too far. In any case, it's not a reason why they chose to be freelancer or why they do staffing work. So I also, I also think uh, fair pricing should be definitely negotiated. Uh, it's not like a staffing company can say, we are going to claim all the nurses and then we're going to charge ridiculous amounts. This is something, and I feel you just should have to, um, the competition work this out. There are many companies and normal competition will realize a 
I think a, a reasonable pricing. It's mostly, it's like always in stuffing, it's just a coefficient. It's, how do you call it? Um, an extra percentage on the wages paid to cover your own expenses as an agency. Margin, yeah. A margin, of course. And of course, there should be a commitment to legal and ethical, standard, ethical standards. The quality of service should be uh, guaranteed. <clears throat> Uh, respect and fair treatment, those kind of things should be in a code of conduct. And this is something the politicians could look at, mm -hmm. but claiming tamping makes the industry too expensive is just ridiculous. It's totally not the case. Yeah. I think it's the contrary. If each hospital should have a flexible layer and they ha should have to manage it themselves, it would be it would be totally too expensive. So the World Employment Confederation came to the same uh, result. They've published a big survey on it. And if people are interested, you can find it on the website of WEC. Uh, we also did a big survey on it. We did a paper on it. And now it's uh, the nice lobby work, uh, contacting politicians and uh, trying to uh, make them see reason. I want to be able to clear some things up with regard to like costs for US versus Europe. Okay, so mm -hmm. first off, the, the most expensive country uh, in Europe, it costs about uh, 8,000 USD, uh, a little over 8,500 USD per capita. Okay. So per person in that country. In Belgium, it's around $6,600 per person. And again, in Europe, everybody's covered. In the US, it's $13,000, more than twice, uh, around twice that of what it is in Belgium. And not everybody is covered. That's so I, I still love the European system, no matter what, right? <laughs> what we're talking about. And for $4 copay, we're paying anywhere from 20 to 50 bucks. And I had to pay $850 out of my own pocket for an MRI. Total, it's total fucking chaos. And 20% of our GDP, by the way. And you have insurance, of course. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I've got, well, I've got yeah. quote unquote great insurance, but I'm still paying. Yeah. Most people can't afford to go pay $850 to get an of MRI to get their, their, their self fixed, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I just want to be able to, to carve out the huge differences between the, the two systems. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, I think there's a there could be a huge danger in, I think Europe is taking a look at what the US, the US media has been talking about, and that's gouging, profiteering. They're trying to make that a, a narrative in Europe as well. And if they've got the numbers, they're going to they're, they're gonna play, play that game. But here's what happened in 1968 uh, that I think uh, is a much smaller scale, but something that I think it's important that you guys do self-regulate and you work directly with with the uh, with the government because Ronald Reagan fired over 11,000 privately employed air traffic controllers when the mm -hmm. union said that they were going to go on strike, right? Because this was going to put massive harm on the US economy. The exact same thing, the types of positions that we're talking about are vital to the importance of the number uh, of people aged 85 and overs is looking to grow 55% by 2037 just in the UK alone. So this has got to be something that government looks at and you guys look at in together to be able to fix this problem. Because if government takes over and says, okay, we're just going to do the Reagan thing and maybe not the entire industry because that we're talking about millions of people, but taking swaths and saying, look, nurses, we need to be able to take control over this because this is a huge problem and vital to not just our, our livelihood, but our economy. Mm -hmm. So I think it's incredibly smart that you guys are doing what you're doing and digging into this to try to find out where the answer is. And the interesting part is, if you look at Norway, for example, uh -huh. Norway has extremely strict laws <clears throat> concerning tamping and, um, and project staffing. Mm -hmm. They're 
really even for us left wing and normally unions aren't really into a flexible staffing thing because people who work for a staffing agency they're not allowed to vote in the social elections so for the unions they unions just don't like it mm -hmm. so in norway regulations are really strict and they made an exception for healthcare in um i think it was in april this year regulations were changed in norway but only with the exception for healthcare because they realized we need the flexibility in healthcare And this is something that totally makes sense and something great precedent to go off. of. Yeah, definitely. And something in, in the Western Europe should uh, take into account. So Chad, Chad outlined the differences in American and, and European healthcare. Uh, there's, there's one thing that we both have in common that happened recently called the pandemic and mm -hmm. the pandemic put incredible stress on healthcare systems across the world uh, in America, just as it did in Europe. We saw burned out nurses quit the, quit the profession altogether. We saw doctors burned out, just stresses that really tested the system. On top of that, there's a theme riding uh, on this European show and employment, and it's the demographic challenges of Europe. Europe is getting older. Mm. It's not producing a lot of young people in comparison. And when you have older and older people, That's a stress on the healthcare system as well. Older people don't get healthier, they get sicker. And they need young people to, one, pay for them to get healthcare as well as take care of them directly. We saw France up the retirement age. We're going to talk about Italy in a second. Governments in Europe are struggling with this issue of paying for healthcare, paying for entitlements, and now paying more and more for military expenses. And that's a yep. really tough question to answer. And what tends to happen is they look at the, the boogeyman that is most available at the particular time. I think in this case, staffing agencies are the boogeyman in this scenario. They're easy to go after. It's easy to say, hey, staffing companies are gouging us. That's why you're paying so much. That's why nurses aren't in hospitals or, you know, like it's an easy, easy target, I think, for governments. The bigger question is, how do we get our population up? How do we get people working again? How do we get tax revenues up? Like those are the bigger questions. The staffing agency question to me is is, is not a big a big issue here. They have much bigger fish to fry. But this is a nice headline. It's an easy win politically. The unfortunate thing is demographic changes are not democratic. Labor, conservative, Tory. It, it affects everybody, no matter what the borders are. And this issue is sort of underscoring the ongoing demographic challenges that are um, encompassing Europe. Absolutely. And the shortage is really structural. It's getting harder each day. So that's an interesting part. In fact, uh, within the survey we did with uh, those 1,500 nurses we asked, uh, one of the questions was, if legislations would change and you would be forced to become employed again or leave uh, the nursing industry altogether, over 75% said they would at least consider looking for a totally different job mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because they want the flexibility. And this is something we have to keep in mind also. It's it's not like the employees, uh, the employers can still decide. It's the employees who are in charge. And if they want to work in a flexible way, you have to allow them. I was interested, uh, the paper from... Uh, the World Employment Confederation had no mention of automation, augmentation, how technology can kind of help bridge the gap between not enough people and giving them superpowers like we talk about in recruiting. None of that was mentioned on on that paper. And I think it is something that every country is going to have to consider moving forward is how do we get technology 
to help augment some of the healthcare issues that we're facing. That's And that's where you get an organization like House of HR, who's a, an expert in this space, who can actually bring that to the table. This doesn't get fixed by government alone. This does not yeah. get fixed by private uh, industry alone, right? This has to be a collaboration between the two. And when that happens, the optics are much better for the politicians, which is exactly what they want in the first place. You guys have the experience, you have the tech, you know all of this. Uh, being able to actually be the guide is is the biggest key here. Absolutely. And I always say the recruitment industry is getting more technical each day and it's getting more complicated. And given the shortage in basically every industry, it's becoming more technical. So you have to know what you're doing mm -hmm. and it's becoming more specialized. And hospitals, they just can't hire the nurses they need anymore. And companies like ours, we are still able to find the people because we do have the technology. We, we hire them, we train them, and we offer them whatever they need and to work as efficiently as possible. And this is something we need. You can't just have uh, nurses uh, sitting around waiting until they are asked to fill in someone uh, to replace someone who became ill, for example. So those few nurses we have, they need to be able to work as efficiently as possible. Mm -hmm. And this definitely is something our industry could could manage. We are, it's our core business, hiring people, matching people, matching yeah. or scheduling uh, those, those pools. It's our business. Yeah. Well, when we come back, things will lighten up a little bit with who'd you rather? Who's ready for some who'd you rather? What are you doing, step bro? <laughs> All right. Here's, here's how we play the game, gang. We talk about two companies that have recently gotten some funding. I read a summary. And then at the end, we decide who'd you rather each of the guys sound off. Are you guys ready to play? Yes. Yeah. Would you rather? All right. Well, in, in this corner, we have Borderless. London-based startup Borderless has raised 2.5 million pounds in a seed funding round to address the country's shortage of care workers. Sound familiar? Borderless offers automated vetting and sourcing via visa processing and relocation management services for care providers. A former Microsoft executive was an investor in the round. Borderless aims to automate the hiring and onboarding of international workers, simplifying the process for both employees and employers while reducing costs and risk. The startup plans to expand its services to the wider UK healthcare sector in the near future. That is Borderless. Now let's talk about UK-based startup 11XAI. They've raised $2 million in pre-seed funding to launch their AI Digital Workers. The company's first AI Digital Worker is named Alice, an AI sales development representative. 11XAI says that its AI-powered team members can help businesses of all sizes to automate repetitive tasks and, quote, amplify human potential, end quote. The funding will be used to develop additional AI Digital Workers and to create a platform that will allow businesses to build their own AI digital workers. That is 11X AI and Borderless Chad. Who'd you rather? Ooh, let's start off with 11A or 11X AI. Uh, they, they've launched, obviously, these digital workers, but they're doing it to the SME market, which we all know is a very hard market to try to break into. You want to spend money on AI and GPUs to make this thing work right, right? You don't, you're not going to have the cash to spend on marketing, which is exactly what you need for the SME market. And then as the company says, its mission is to automate everything. I mean, everything, there's literally no place for me to start here. Okay. <laughs> then borderless 
who is taking aim at the country's shortage of care workers, right? This is obviously a big problem. We just had a whole segment about it. Uh, it's a legit mm-hmm. issue that will be a very persistent problem that needs fixed as reported by the, the BBC. The average churn in the care industry is 50% year over year. Plus, as I said earlier, the number of people aged over 85 is expected to grow 55% by 2037. Who would I rather? It's very simple. Borderless is who I'd rather because I think that might be an house of HR, uh, I don't know, acquisition target sometime very soon. (laughs) That's one for borderless. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Might as well be. So I agree. Healthcare is a huge issue. Care workers, huge issue uh, in the in the UK and everywhere in the world, which we just we just spoke about. However, the market potential with just a UK healthcare business, assuming even they grow to out throughout Europe, is fairly limited. Uh, I do believe that more and more companies. Yes, Chad, you can't see it on on uh, on the audio, but. Yes, Chad. Uh, the the total addressable market for digital workforces is humongous. Uh, there's going to be a lot of competition in the space. There's going to be a lot more money come in. Uh, 11x AI, as bad as the name is, uh, is going to get a lot of funding for what they're doing. Look, we had a story on the weekly show uh, a couple weeks ago about a customer service company uh, let go 90% of its workforce to be replaced by digital workers. I can tell you if companies could replace a lot of their sales force to do sort of the the initial SDR process, they would definitely do it. A lot of companies, particularly startups that can't afford the headcount of salespeople, particularly good salespeople, are going to drop coin on companies like 11X AI to save money, get more sales in the door. Like the, the website says, hi, I'm Alice, your new AI SDR. I consume trillions of bytes of data to become the world's best SDR. I work 24 hours a day, seven days a week at scale to help you grow faster and automate prospecting. Hire me today and supercharge your growth. Those are words that I can get behind. And those are words that say I would rather 11x AI. Just the tip. <laughs> All right, leave and break the tie, baby. Okay, who would I rather? I don't think it's a coincidence that Borderless was launched in the UK because it's the only country within Europe where it actually might succeed, I feel. Because of the language, so many companies have tried, and the word might sound a bit harsh, but importing care workers from all around the world into their own country, and there is always a big language problem. Uh, I know some Belgium company who, who tried um, to to get nurses from the Philippines into Belgium because we needed them, but after even after one year of uh, intense language training, it just didn't work out. And after two years, those people were getting they, they didn't like it and they returned to their country to the Philippines and they tried it from um, uh, the north of uh, Africa, different countries. Mm-hmm. I don't know any case in which it succeeded. Of course, in the UK, it's a different thing because they have their uh, old colonies um, where many people still speak uh, English. And um, that might be the the big game changer. If it's UK, I think the 2.5 million investment is, I'm sure, a pretty good investment. The other one, 11x, it's a difficult one, of course. And today it's very sexy to be active within AI. Um, If you call your company X, uh, it makes... uh, (laughs) makes a difference. I'm an ex-user, for example, an ex-user of Twitter, that is. 
I do believe in the whole concept about the digital shift. And we've been talking about our Congress, March 19th, it will be in Amsterdam. And the title of the Congress is the digital shift. And it's a shift from a traditional economy to a strictly digital powered by AI. But it's also about the digital shift, like you have the night shift and the early morning shift. You also have the digital shift. There will be like digital people working in your company, being your colleagues. And this is exactly what... Um, 11x is doing with alice and they are creating a persona a difficult uh, sorry a digital profile which will more or less behave like a human being and this will only get better and more realistic mm -hmm. i'm not sure about it so it's sexy but i think i would wait a bit just to see how it turns out so mm -hmm. today i would go for the borderless what are you doing step bro all right gang that is another who'd you rather who'd you rather Thanks for playing. Thanks for playing. All right, let's get to our final story. The Italian government is ending benefits for thousands of families and individuals deemed, quote, fit to work, end quote. The citizen's income allowance will only be for families meeting limited criteria, such as those with a disabled person, a minor, or an individual over the age of 65. The benefit was introduced four years ago, but the new right-wing government is tightening the social welfare system. Opponents criticized the decision, saying it would be particularly difficult for those in their 50s to retrain and find new jobs. Get a job, hippie. Chad, what are your thoughts on the news out of Italy? It's interesting. First, let's give a little background. Maloney is, uh, she's actually a Mussolini fan. Uh, she's a radical right winger. She's a fascist. Uh, here's the kicker. Hey, Italians, uh, this was one of Maloney's campaign promises. She promised to do that if she'd get in office. She said she's going to abolish these monies. So nobody should be surprised. But, but whose job is it to create jobs in Italy? Everyone wants to point at the guy on the couch and say, hey, man, you're lazy, but there aren't any fucking jobs in Italy. Is it the individual's job to drive economic development for the entire country or Italy, the actual government, by building and bringing companies into the country? The thing here is we're always demonizing the person who can't find a fucking job. If you take a look at Naples, it is depressed. It is impoverished. And then we're pointing a finger at somebody and saying, you're lazy. It's the government being lazy and not doing their job and actually doing economic development. So we've got to stop demonizing people who can't find a fucking job. That's the biggest key. And we've got Mussolini fans who are loving this. Uh, this is something that we see in the U.S. We see all over the world. We're always pointing at the lazy bastard on the couch who, to be quite frank, has to work three jobs just to be able to make ends meet. So that's my two cents. I, I think I think it's ridiculous. And for a government to be able to, to point at people and call them lazy, the government, Italy, in this case, is lazy. Not to sound like a broken record, but the, the political side of this, uh, not that it doesn't matter, but Italy has the highest share of people over 65 years of age in the EU. Um, aging res residents and failing birth rates will decrease the population from 54.2 million today to 47.7 million in 2070. Similar to France, changing the rules around retirement. Italy has the same tough choice to make, uh, and this is probably one of many that they're going to have to do. Um, I do love that if you have children, that you still get the benefit, which is basically saying have more kids so we can help pay for an aging population. Uh, politically, this becomes a strategy to win office. It makes great headlines, uh, but the, ultimately the bill is going to be due 
on these issues of not having enough money to pay these things that people need. We had one of the uh, one of the politicians made a great point in terms of supporting women. And if you support women, uh, they're more likely to get a job because they feel like they have childcare and that they can they can have that support. Like initiatives like that are perfectly fine if the end goal is to like get more women uh, in the workforce. Um, I think that's a good thing. But ultimately, everyone should take a page out of uh, Portugal's playbook and get more Americans, Canadians, and Brits to come <laughs> in the country and spend more money and buy more real estate, so they can uh, they can buy more benefits for their for their populace to create more jobs. I don't care how many women sure. make feel good about going to work. If there's no fucking work, you can't do anything. Right. So, well, you need customers, you need customers to have jobs. And if you have a declining population, there's less customers. They don't have people coming in to actually create jobs in the first place. That's the problem, right? You can't get a tax revenue base. If you can't actually tax the people off the jobs that they're doing, cause there aren't any fucking jobs. Well, there's a declining number of people, which, should make for more job openings. The problem is Italy's not doing its job in creating economic development. You need consumers to buy the goods that you're selling. Which Those are where the jobs come from. If you have an aging population, where do they get the money? 80 year olds don't buy anything. I know because my dad's 84. There aren't enough jobs, right? So if you've got a declining population, you need to bring more jobs to the people so that they can actually get money in their pocket so they can pay for shit. Sure. If you have more kids and you don't have jobs to be able to drive tax revenue and buy shit, none of that matters. Immigration is a whole other point of this as well. I don't know Italy's immigration policy. That's a diversion, but yes. If you want more people, you have to have more babies, let people in. You become Italy and Japan. What's the problem right now? Jobs. They're pointing at people that are saying lazy on the couch where there are no fucking jobs. They need jobs first. They don't need more people. More Americans. That's the answer, Levin. What more are your Americans, thoughts? Yeah, to, to spend money. <laughs> the world needs more Americans. <laughs> I think there's a very big difference between the north and the south of Italy. If you look at Milano, there are plenty of jobs and it's rich and, um, and the economy is booming. Mm-hmm. The south has always been a problem area. And I do agree with both of you. <laughs> Definitely, it's Italy's job to create more jobs, definitely in the South, and to help those people. Mm -hmm. If you can't find a job, the government needs to take care of you. And this is what's been happening for um, hundreds of years now. There is only one problem. If the social security is that good, in some regions, you probably don't feel the urge to find a job. And there are ways to make some more money without paying taxes. So we call it, um, I'm not sure if it's called the same in English, Zwartwerk. If you don't pay taxes, you work in black uh, and uh, you probably don't know the expression. I can't translate, translate it literally. But um, I'm sure many of those people who take money from the government because they are unemployed also work without paying taxes. And this definitely is the case in the south of Italy. That's one thing. And I feel there should be a big difference between what you could make working and what you get from the government not working. And in those countries and in the south of Italy, the average income is pretty low. And what they got from the government was high income if you compare it, and then people aren't motivated. So what I should do, or what I would do, but it's it's politics, is the moment you lose your job, the first three months you should get a really high allowance because it would allow you to look for a new job, maybe even five months. But then it should go down pretty fast. So you don't have the time to um, settle down in um, getting the money from the government and not working at all. So for people losing a job, there should be some kind of a net to catch them. But 
you can't just use the system for years and years. There are jobs, definitely, even in the South. So uh, people should be motivated to to get one. But that's more of a political discussion, I feel. Did Levin say he agreed with both of us? <laughs> yes, that's because I'm, I'm very diplomatic. Very, very European. But what, what I heard yeah. from you, though, Levin, was if there needs to be uh, greater wages as well. The wages need to increase. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah. that, so I mean, there, there are some, there are many different layers to, to this onion. But at the end of the day, you're right. There are pockets of Italy that are impoverished, just can't find a job. But then there are other areas. I mean, there's no reason that they can't treat those differently, right? Mm -hmm. And you're talking about um, migration in the 50s and 60s, so after last century. So many Italian people came, for example, to Belgium to work in the coal mines because Italy was really poor. Mm -hmm. And those people were invited to come to work in Belgium and in the Netherlands and Germany and work in the mining industry, which was terrible, a terrible job, but it paid pretty good. And But then when those mines closed, closed down, then those people were unemployed in Belgium as well. It's still something which isn't totally solved, even even in Italy. Keep hope alive, Europe, uh, because Team Sowash is eventually going to be back in Portugal, <laughs> spending lots and lots of money. Sounds. Guys, this was intense, but I loved it as usual. We out. We out. We out. Wow. Look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chat and Chase podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast-forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell, enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey, or just watch big booty Latinas and bug fights on TikTok. No, you hung out with these two chuggleheads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt. But save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away. And like Chad's favorite western, you can't quit them either. We out. <laughs>